Hey, fuck boys and fuck ladies. This is Tyler from Worst in the Industry. We have a lot of laughs on our show, and we get into some pretty heated topics, so it's important to remember that the views expressed by the hosts of Worst in the Industry are their own and in no way representations of the views held by the Planet Ant Podcast Network or Planet Ant as an organization. Yell at us, not at them. Maybe send me a dick pic every once in a while. That'd be cool. Thanks, and enjoy the show. This has been a production of Planet Ant Podcast, powered by Pinecast. What a story. And the CIA still hasn't found you for for infecting Ben Roethlisberger with COVID. (laughs) And then Ben Roethlisberger gave it to Colin Powell. (laughs) The CIA still hasn't found you yet. Wow. What a story. That's because Ben Roethlisberger, as we all know, is a bug chaser. You know, he's in the pausing community, as was Colin Powell. It's, you know, the, the, the practical applications of this Ben Roethlisberger bioweapon that we have apparently created is, uh, you know, they're staggering. People don't know this. Ben Roethlisberger is immune to AIDS. Yeah. It's real easy to be when you got that much money. Well, you know, it's but it's hard to be when you're big, you know, huge, very famous enemies with Suge Knight. <laughs> I like that That's his really. size makes it more likely. That'll do I mean, it. When Sugar Bear like, is like on the because, trail... Like, because Easy e was so small, he missed a few times. He missed. <laughs> well, look, oh, like look who it is. Like the CIA with Castro, which Sugar Bear... Look who it is. It up. It's the listeners. Oh, hello, hello listeners. listeners. Oh, sorry, we didn't see you there. Wow. <laughs> wow. Tri- just, you can't just casually, <laughs> from off-screen, grab a... <laughs> Be fucking Bud Light Lime Tall Boy that you did not have before. I don't know if it's just because your hands are small, but that Tall Boy looks like extra tall. It does. Jesus, Tyler, put it next to your Big dick. Boy. Okay. Want me pull my dick out. You see it. the comparison. See it. Do we it. don't need this derailment right yeah. now. That's gonna spark we're, a whole we're other audio podcast medium. episode. As far as they know, my dick is out right now. As far as they, damn. as far as we know, your dick is out right now. We can see you from the waist up, and that's it. That's the way I like it. Tyler, is that, it that way. is that Ben Roethlisberger's face tattooed on the side of your scrotum? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Ben did it himself. He's yeah, he good. aged He's like better. 15 years from all the wrinkles. Yep. So, Looks like listen. Orville Redenbacher if he was a rapist who played professional football. <laughs> so, good welcome, guy. listeners. This is uh, <laughs> Worst in the Industry. Where we three old-timey amateur gynecologists desperately attempt to find the clitoris of capitalism and flick the bean until it gushes its blood, sweat, and oil all over our faces. (laughs) My name's Tyler, and that's as far as I got writing this. I don't have an opening for myself, so, uh... 
uh, oil. Colin? Uh, my name's Colin Stanley, and uh, I'm running for president. Uh, not of the United States, uh, but of your household. I'm going to be your stepdad soon. To my left. Uh, my name is Justin St. Peter, and I'm just glad I didn't have to think about uh, an intro this time. There are no thoughts, only Miller Genuine Draft. Miller Genuine Draft. My favorite three-letter acronym uh, that starts with MG besides, as we all know, MGT. MTG. MG42. I was going to say MGL. MTG. Magic the Gathering, or... Marjorie Taylor Greene, which one's the favorite to bring up in your local comic book shop? MGMT. I don't, I don't know. I love MGMT. Okay, no, no cap. <laughs> Little Dark Age by MGMT is probably one of my favorite albums of all time. It's, I mean, like it's definitely a good album. I'm a big fan. That was when I was uh, suicidally depressed and uh, drinking just to not feel. Uh, what a great, what a great album, Little Dark Age. Anyway, uh, we're we started the episode today. This is episode three of the Oil series. Um, and, to, and to get ready for this, I would, I'm not suggesting because this is completely illegal. Do not go to Home Depot, get yourself some Morning Glory seeds, and synthesize your own LSA. LSA. Don't do that. Don't pause this episode. Do that. Don't don't do that. It's it's really if bad for you. If you are going to commit the felony of doing hallucinogenic drugs, which we do not endorse nor recommend, uh, then I would recommend if you're going to do that and commit that crime, and nothing I can say will stop you, you should tactically plan around listening to this episode and then watching a fun movie. Uh, yeah, you're, you're like gonna listen to this now. You're gonna listen to this episode. What are you gonna listen to? Come town instead. What are you gonna do? Listen to listen to three other uh, weird white guys. Uh, one of which is fatter than the other two, and one of which is Jewish. No. no. First Who's of all, say? I first of Who's all, I say? know you're talking about me. Second Who's, of all, no. Who's to say, Justin? I could can't lie for I've the podcast. Into it. Not Jewish. Gotten that my whole life. Though. I am actually refusing to look into it because my family won't talk to me. But anyway, it's, I just know that my family's like my family's all from like fucking France. The honestly, <laughs> the well, yeah, there were Jews in no France. Such, it's, okay, no such so thing you, as Jews you, in France. No, it's you want to know how I know I wasn't a Jew in France or my ancestors I'll, weren't Jews in France. Know, just, just I've never like been a Jew in France myself. <laughs> I have never been. Nor. It's, you know how I know is because I'm literally named after a French saint. I don't know about Justin. It's, I'm descended from yeah, Saint Justin, Pierre. Justin, Justin, you know Not there was saint this Peter. thing. You know there was this thing that happened in the 1940s, right, where people wanted to hide being Jewish. It's we we came over here in France. Far my family earlier than that. My family from Poland was either a group of uh, like complete like spineless white russian loyalists or white russian loyalists who were also jewish <laughs> i too love vodka in half and half i get it i love I <laughs> anyway we have to start the fucking episode Badoom tis. Uh, so last episode uh we left off in the year 1953 
the year that Zapata Petroleum was founded uh, by George H.W. Bush and his ghoulish consorts um, and pick, and stated that in 1954, the following year, George H.W. Bush um, would be named president of Zapata Petroleum's sister company, Zapata Offshore, uh, which was specifically uh, focused on offshore drilling. International waters. Yep. And it's also really shitty that they named them the Zapatas because, or they named themselves the Zapata Oil Company or whatever, because the Zapatas are a uh, socialist anarchist group. So that, so we can talk about this. They oh, actually the name yeah. Zapata does not come from the historical Zapata, nor the followers of the historical Zapata, but rather the the movie. Oh my god! Fuck out of here! No, these uh, fucking these fucking nerds, dude. They're not nerds. They're culturalist swine. They are uh, fleshy pig people that run our world. So let's talk about oil. 1953, uh, that is when um, Zapato Petroleum is founded uh, by George H.W. Bush. And uh, it's that same uh, year that um, Neil Mallon, a member of the Dallas Council of World Affairs. Very interesting. You need, you want to... If you ever want to fucking blow your brains out in a public library, why don't you look up the Dallas Council of World Affairs? It was essentially um, like a social club full of Texas oligarchs, basically. They were so it was like people, skull and bones shit. Yeah, uh, it this was a junior Illuminati. They they are they are one of like <laughs> if the Illuminati is like you know the MLB. The, the Dallas Council of World Affairs is like double A ball. Like, they're, they're trying to get there. Yeah, so, yeah. So, regional Illuminati. Colin, I'm really happy because when I when I heard you say Dallas Cut, I thought you were going to be like, member of the Dallas Cowboys. And I was going to be like, god damn, another person from the NFL that's in this. Ben Roethlisberger <laughs> and this guy. Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> Tony Rope. Was he? Was Tony Romo ever... Tony yes, Roma. he was a he was a Dallas Cowboy, and now he's a golf commentator. He's a golf commentator. Wow, yeah. that's even more boring. I mean, that makes sense because you do have to be brain dead to watch golf all day. But um, tis, let's keep it moving. <laughs> so it's kind of soothing. That, throw it on the background. In 1953, nice. Neil Mallet, uh, uh, the the founder uh, and member of the Dallas Council of World Affairs, um, would contact. Um, the director of the CIA, Alan Dulles. Um, Al Dulles. One of the most genuinely evil men to have ever lived. The Dulles, honestly, if anybody ever deserved to be fucking crucified on the mount at Golgotha, it's the Dulles brothers. They're fucking worm people. They're... I still can't believe that they called all the birds to make drones <laughs> to surveil us. So, okay, so wait, now, now the thing is that the birds... Did exist, but then they killed all of them because before was, it was there was used to be no birds. No, before no, it was no, like all no, oh, no, birds no, are a psyop. No, they no, haven't no, existed. No, 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 no. Bird. It was. It was never that birds never existed. It was that birds existed up until 1954, and then Alan Dulles culled all of the birds and replaced the them with surveillance drones. Okay, whatever. So uh, Neil Mallon, uh, he he wrote a letter to to Alan Dulles, 
uh, exactly two weeks after Zapata Petroleum had launched. Um, and he referred to uh, uh, exactly, you know what, I think I should just read the quote. So I'm going to read the quote. Uh, this is from uh, Family of Secrets. In, a, in addition to Bob Johnson, I have invited a close personal friend, Prescott Bush. We want to talk to them about our pilot project, capital P, capital P, in the Caribbean, and have you listen in. Now, what could that pilot project be referring to? I don't the know, author of would... Family of Secrets, uh, Russ Baker, uh, implies, and by implies, says outright, that more than likely this is in reference to Zapata Petroleum, given that hmm. Prescott Bush's son, George H.W., Bush, Poppy Bush, uh, was involved in its founding. Uh, so obviously there's that connection. Um, George H.W. Bush also involved in the Dallas Council of World Affairs um, because they're they're all just sucking each other off in a big fucking satanic circle and not the kind that I would enjoy personally. So Well, you know, that's the only thing that Prescott Bush, Bush would be interested in there. Prescott a, Bussy. Prescott, Prescott Bush would be interested Bussy. in there is a pee-pee. <laughs> a pilot project a, a pilot project so yes Peace. so the basically what's happening here is they're referring to zapata petroleum an oil company an oil extraction company a drilling company that's used and contracted out by companies like texaco and gulf and eventually chevron uh to work for them so uh if you're if Every time we've brought up the Bush fam, you're like, why does it matter? It's because they're connected to all of this. They're always there. We, <laughs> it's the Bush family is the Skywalker family of the 20th century. I think, I think my girlfriend will soon be tired of me screaming, we've been bought and sold since the fucking beginning. But I will continue to scream it until <laughs> I die of an aneurysm. So... <laughs> But we've been fucking bought and sold, man. Like, no, nothing has ever met. Like, nothing has mattered that any individual person has done since, like, 1859. That was the last time that you, as a man doing something, actually could achieve a material effect on the world. Since then, we're fucked. Not wrong. So. Why? Are they talking about Zapata Offshore? Why are they talking about Zapata Petroleum and then eventually Zapata Offshore? What does that matter? What does it mean? Um, so, in 1958, the Cuban Revolution uh, succeeded in overthrowing uh, the brutal, um, mafia-centric uh, regime of uh, Batista. Now, we're not going to go too far into the Cuban Revolution. It is uh, very closely tied... Um, to what we're talking about, the oil industry, American imperialism, uh, uh, like imperial corporatism, uh, as well as the CIA, and just like this fucking psychotic intelligence community that exists even to this day. We're not going to talk yep. about it because in season we two... Could do a ten, yeah, we could do a ten-part series on it. It's, we, we'd talk forever about it. Um, in fact, we don't have to do a ten-part series on it. Because uh, season two of a podcast that Tyler and I personally enjoy uh, did a, a fucking fantastic job. They're called Blowback. Uh, we highly recommend if you're a fan of the show, you listen to Blowback. Uh, season one and season two. We're going to reference season two uh, in a few minutes. 
but uh, or season one rather in a few minutes, but season two specifically uh, refers to and deals with the Cuban Revolution, uh, the the work up to the Cuban Revolution, the the entirety of the revolution itself, and then uh, the outcomes afterwards, and uh, everything that the Americans, the CIA in particular, did to keep that from happening and uh, try to tear down everything they achieved. Uh, we're not going to talk about it, um, but we will say fucking Viva Fidel. Uh, we're big fans of Che Guevara and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the revolutionaries involved. They're fucking heroes and martyrs, and uh, I will respect them until the day I die. Now, back to Zapata. Now, Zapata moved in, I believe, 1958... Uh, or 1960 rather 1960 is the year that Zapata moved most of its uh, operations uh, from the Gulf of Mexico and to a small secluded K uh, like about 150-200 miles uh, from Cuba so they essentially plopped their uh, you know oil platforms their oil rigs very very close to cuba for no reason because who would why what are you crazy you're crazy uh it's just a coincidence coincidence, huge coincidence that george hw bush who explicitly stated he never had a connection to the cia before becoming the director which has already been provably false because zapata was used by the cia as a front uh business uh now when we say front business basically what the cia at this time was doing is they were using businesses to basically have an excuse to why there was an American in a given place. So George H.W. Bush, even though Zapata didn't really have that many um, drilling operations and, and only had a few platforms uh, in the Gulf of Mexico at the time, uh, he traveled all over the world and met with lots and lots of uh, dignitaries and officials in countries that either had previously been cooed by the CIA or would eventually be cooed by the CIA. So it's uh it's a little sus as the kids say. Um uh... you know uh, what what twice Gotta is report a, that body. Twice is a coincidence, yeah. uh, thrice cyan. is a conspiracy. That's the how it works. Well, this guy is going to dozens of different fucking places. So it's it's very clear that George H.W. Bush um is involved with the CIA at this point. In fact, one of the for, uh, a former director of the CIA uh, did explicitly state um, the following. Uh, Which former director? Was it the living skeleton Alan Dulles? Okay, so he's not... I'm sorry, I, I, miss, I misspoke. In fact, a, a former chief of uh, CIA anti-Castro operations in the early 1960s uh, stated the following uh, regarding uh, Bush's involvement with the company. Bush's company, referring to Zapata, was used as a conduit for these funds under the guise of oil business contracts. We had to pay off politicians in Mexico, Guatemala, Costa Rica, and elsewhere. The major breakthrough was when we were able to, through Bush, to place people in Pemex, the big Mexican national oil operation. Uh, we're not going to get too much into Pemex, Basically, Pemex is kind of like the launching off point for a lot of um, CIA money and assets throughout like the rest of like the 60s, 70s, and so so on. Um, we're not going to talk about it because I have to talk about so much other shit. 
and I'm not going to make this too many more episodes because I can't. Because I can't. So, 1960 is also the year um, that OPEC is formed. Now, for those of you that don't know, OPEC is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. Um, now, it was founded in 1960 uh, by Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. Um, originally, they wanted to station their um, headquarters in Baghdad or Beirut. However, because Venezuela, uh, as we stated last episode, has some of the largest oil reserves in the world, um, you know, pretty much one of the largest outside of the Middle East, uh, that they persuaded the rest of the partner countries um, to put the uh, headquarters in a neutral location uh, in Geneva in Switzerland. Now, why is OPEC forming important? And why did it form? Um, now, we, we talked last episode quite a bit about how a lot of these oil companies are essentially operating as independent nation states in these regions. They are creating their own infrastructure, paying their own security forces, doing all these things. They're, they're basically, um, you know, like I said, they're, they're acting as their own nation states. And because of that, because these are companies that are controlling a resource the world needs and also a resource that can make a lot of money for countries that really don't have much in the way of, uh, you know, exportable resources otherwise that are impoverished because, as we said, again, last episode, a lot of these countries are victims of colonialism uh, and that kind of Western influence that shatters uh, any socioeconomic, uh, you know, policy or growth that you could possibly have. Um, they wanted a way around it. So OPEC essentially... Um, helped in the nationalization of a lot of these countries' oil industries. So uh, in the coming years, a lot of these countries will go on to nationalize um, the oil that they own and the, and the, the companies that operate within it, um, which kind of destroys the Seven Sisters' grip on global oil. They're no longer able to do, you know, after the DOJ, um, you know, was able to eventually file those civil charges uh, against what they were doing overseas and the fact that all these countries would go on to nationalize they weren't able to fully monopolize the flow of oil quite uh, as strongly as they had before they will still do that they still do that today they just don't do it as absolutely um, what really happens here um, and you see this also in a lot of other commodities not just oil uh, this is where things become financial, uh, financialized. Um, this is where things become abstracted through the market, um, specifically the stock market. Um, so you're no longer talking about, when you talk about the value and the price of oil, it's no longer a very simple supply-demand matrix. It now becomes speculation. And now we're talking about uh, trying to bet on and evaluate the future price of oil. Um, and short the future price of oil. These the kind of things where it's it's less about the commodity itself and more about the manipulation of its value. Um, we talked about uh, last episode um, the documentary Bitter Lake about um, you know oil in the Middle East and America's involvement there, uh, as well as a lot of the kind of societal and cultural changes and economic shifts that would affect those countries. Um, you know through the 20th century, specifically Afghanistan. Um, 
Ian Curtis or Adam Curtis, not Ian, not Ian not, Curtis. not the lead singer of Div- Joy Division that killed himself, but Adam Curtis, uh, the documentarian, uh, also um, directed a documentary, created a documentary called Hypernormalization that talks about the process of this financialization, specifically uh, through the seventies uh, and. Uh, how New York City was essentially bought out uh, by these large banking organizations, um, but also deals with that kind of abstraction from what it from material to um, you know speculation. Um, it's it's that Karl Marx line where it's like under capitalism, uh, all that is solid melts into air. It's you are separate. Nothing is real anymore. Nothing is tangible. That's not what value is based on. It is based on uh, ideas and the the will, the personal will of these corporations. But that does sound like a Joy Division song. <laughs> what, oh yeah, hypernormalization no, like, will definitely tear us apart. <laughs> like everything uh, you just described, I'm like, if <laughs> yeah, if if those would have been lyrics to a Joy Division song, I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah, she she's lost control is about JFK. That's. <laughs> Just about uh, Jackie O crawling over the back of the fucking car. Unknown, up. unknown <laughs> pleasures is about the boner you get when you kill the president. Uh, <laughs> Day I, of the Lords? Do you mean November twenty second, nineteen sixty three? Come on, I'll keep, I can imagine I'd be pretty keep nerdy. naming tracks. I've been listening to that album a lot lately. No wonder your <laughs> eyes are so gaunt and sunken. I, I haven't been sleeping. Uh, for the listeners at home. My insomnia has come come back in full force, and I'm not really sleeping a lot, and I'm dying. So, it's a good time. I'm having a good time. Uh-oh, buddy. So, um, now, if you'll also remember last episode, we talked about how um, the reason the DOJ was not able to bring criminal charges against the Seven Sisters, uh, specifically the American-based ones, was because at the time the CIA had an ongoing operation in Iran uh, to to carry out a coup uh, against the Iranian uh, prime minister, I believe. Uh, and this actually, the reason that they were doing this was because the administration in Iran at the time was attempting to nationalize their oil industry. Um, unfortunately, there was it, the coup was successful. Um, it's also interesting to note here the way that Iran is still used as like the boogeyman of the world when we talk about how when we talk about the countries that are a, a quote unquote threat to America, as if any country is a threat to America. I, I you know I think it bears mentioning. The idea itself is laughable. There, nobody is going to come and kill you and your kids in the night. Uh, if they will, it's because they're cops and somebody called them there to do it. Um, it's not going to be, you know, a, a caricature of a of a Muslim man in a fucking jetliner. It's it's going to be, you know, the dickhead who lives down the street from you and gets a buzz cut that's too tight because his fingers are too fat uh, to manipulate the clippers any more effectively than that. Um, you know, because he's Colin, got the big Punisher tattoo on the side of his head. Uh, Colin, and he goes to you're his, saying that you're saying that like cops actually live in the places where they police. Oh, you, you know, Tyler, I love you, sweetheart. You're you're exactly right. 
How can you police a community if you're not even a member of it? How can you... How can you call the neighborhood a cop lives in a hog pen if that's not even where the hogs do all the work? <laughs> they're, they're not rooting around in the pen. They're rooting around in the inner cities where they kill black children. So, so in 1960, uh, OPEC... <laughs> uh, now, the members of OPEC uh, are originally... Uh, I believe, here, we'll pull this up. Like I said, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. Now, you'll note that I didn't mention uh, Ecuador, which was one of the companies that we talked about last episode, the descendants of Grand, uh, Grand Colombia. And I Colin, know what you're what's thinking. going on with Ecuador? What's going on with, everybody wants to know. What Don't get me started about Ecuador. Ecuador. What's going on with Ecuador? Well, Don't get me started about Ecuador. So, well, actually. I'm going to bring that back next week. Actually, we do have to get started on Ecuador. So, um, Ecuador uh, democratically elects uh, a president, I believe, in 1960. Um, now, this... Uh, democratically or democratic? Democratic, no, actually, democratically okay. elected this guy. Now, where's my fucking mouse? Oh, my God, I'm having a stroke. It's finally happening. Thank God. It's all that steel reserve. I wish. It's all that brain force I gave you. So, keeping that keep that noggin nice and stiff. Now, mm-hmm. the, this is from uh, William Bloom's Calcified. that brain crispy. <laughs> this is like, from like a chicken thigh skin. Yeah, like good crackling. Like you can't you can't break it with your fingers. You got to get it between your jaws and just hurt. <laughs> it's all calcium. It's like all my calcium. brain is like my brain is like a nice creme brulee. Okay, guys, Let's you ever, you ever deep up. fry a bone? <laughs> That's what Colin's brain is like. It's right all now. dry. Yeah, there's no marrow left Crumbles in it. to it's, dust in your you hands, just, but then you just, and it feels dry. But then when you crumble it, it's like full of oil. Yeah, there's still a lot of oil in there. Yeah, Something's got to hold it together. So in September, this this is from uh, William Bloom's uh, book, uh, Killing Hope: uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. Military and CIA Intervention Since World War II. Uh, this is part of the um, excerpt that he has on his site. Um, the uh, title of this expert uh, is Ecuador, nineteen sixty to nineteen sixty-three: A Textbook of Dirty Tricks. Um, so in wow. September, in September nineteen sixty, wow. uh, 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 Jose Velasco uh, Ibarra uh, can't, comes to power. Velasco basically, you know, he, he wasn't a socialist. Um, like the, the CIA would like to believe. It was more of a populist, if anything. He just wasn't aggressive against um, Castro or against the, um, uh, you know, the, the Communist Party that existed in Ecuador, as it did a lot of Amer- Latin American countries. Um, uh-huh. So it's like how all of the crazy right-wing people describe Joe Biden as a communist, and I'm like, I fucking wish he was. Um, it's just yeah. barely center-right. Actually, I wouldn't even say that, because Joe Biden is like the valet for the DuPont family, so I, I wouldn't Biden. call him a center-right. Uh, what did you say? Joe Biden. Oh, I thought you said Jill Biden. Biden. I'm like, J- no, J- no, Joe Biden. Doctor Jill name. Biden has nothing Joe Biden. to do with it. J apostrophe Biden. Joe Biden. Yeah. Joe Biden. No, uh, our vice president. Refers to Joe Biden. No, th- this like this guy is probably oh, two thousand dollars. This guy's probably the closest to like a real life centrist or real life moderate as as has ever existed uh, in the Americas. He's so like Alex Jones above the left right paradigm. 
<sighs> Boy, t- j- Tyler, the things you say sometimes, j- they just, mm, it's, it's like if you were, it's like if you were drinking a, a nice crisp cold diet Coca-Cola, and then right at the bottom was just a layer of fetid cum. That is how you make me feel, is that I'm enjoying myself, and then it's just like, mmm, I know that it's, taste. It's I like pennies and ammonia. I lead you up to it. I lead you up to it. And then I let you down. Why do you know the taste? How do you not know the taste? Of fetid cum? Of... <laughs> I feel like it's fetid because it's been canned. So there was like a heating process that occurred. That probably yeah, man, I feel like that would drastically it. change the taste. Yeah, you think it'd make past- it better? There, there was a no! pasteurization process in there. So. What about my tone makes you think it's going to be better? I don't know. Fuck is wrong is with this you? cum fetid? I can only we got a drink fucking cum jar. Is this cum? Is this cum? For, is this cum naturally fermented, or is there sugar? Is this cum I left it on the fermented? Is this, is this been we... cave fermented? This was this. Cum... Is this is this cum French cave fermented? Is this is this cum lacto fermented? Is this like a nice Belgian saison? No, no, it's it's American, so it's like craft cum, but spelled with a K. Oh, it's it's uh, fucking Sam. It's not. It's cum it's by Sam not Adams. Cum. I left the jar on the radiator. Oh, oh god, no. this is the second reference to why, that My Little why? Pony Come Charlie okay. in the series. <laughs> Question. Why did he put it on the radiator? Because he's fucking stupid. Because he's on 4chan. Because the, 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 he's a B-poster. The Reddit, he's of, a fucking the Reddit of the past. Uh, that He's a green text B-poster, Justin. These people what are sharing brain cells. Nobody should be worried about fascists so taking over. But... But ours are better. They're higher quality. It's, are they? It's like, yeah, they're I feel so like they're just kind of on the same caliber. 40, they're 45 caliber. Yes, they what. are, because my skull is 37.3 centimeters. Yeah, so. actually, I have a Chad skull. I feel like that's I have a way good smaller than your forehead. skull is. My brow ridge doesn't denote me as a virgin, and I'm not a chinless loser, so... <laughs> I can say that yes. my brain cells are. Yes, Colin, your your proud Neanderthal brow. I, yeah, I do. I look I look like somebody uh, sculpted a chimp from memory, and I'm okay with that because at least I've been laid. <laughs> Colin, you should shave your eyebrows. Really show off that brow line. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1960, Velasco is uh, elected. Uh, in Ecuador, um, but because Velasco, because uh, he didn't outright uh, decry Fidel Castro and let fascist death squads roam the countryside of his his nation, uh, he was immediately targeted by the CIA. Wow, um, I feel like Velasco I, is an off-brand hot sauce. But why though? Um, because the the CIA it's great value hot sauce. <laughs> great, great value, Velasco. That doesn't sound right. So, uh, as we talked about last episode, a big part of this Western, uh, and again, we use that, there's no such thing as the West, but like, we're going to kind of use the term because it's what people are familiar with. It's, it, this is like the white Anglo mindset is that, you know, if you're not white, you're literally like mentally handicapped and you cannot do anything for yourself. You're less than human. You're an animal and you can't manage your own resources or govern yourself. So the we touched CIA- on that a lot in Ep One. What? They said we touched on that a lot in, I, I for some reason abbreviated episode. Yeah, Ep One. 
those those F1. those six letters would have taken way too long. Too much, no, exactly. Too much time. Yeah, no. Uh, episode one of the oil series. We talked about that uh, about the you know the Osage murders and exactly. So it's that same kind of ideology. It's the same kind of thought process at work here, where um, you know if this were another white country like France or England, Canada, or Germany, uh, Canada. They could, can, so a combination of all three of those? They could, <laughs> they could basically, you know, they could have these kinds of opinions on Castro, and the CIA probably wouldn't be happy about it, but they wouldn't do anything about it. Um, you know, not unless it was actually a leftist leader, because then they would kill them. Uh, you know. See, Colin, but the thing you're not thinking about is they did, because if you remember, the Nazis... How could we forget? We're socialists, oh, as boy. we all know. They were I, socialists. Buddy, I screamed it's about this. It's in the name. I it's screamed the about name. this like 20 episodes ago, and I'm not going to bring it up again, but the Nazis weren't leftists. They were socialists. They hated them. They killed them. That was like a huge group that they demonized yeah, oh, yeah. and used as scapegoats. The, the whole part of the whole reason that the Holocaust happened is because they were saying that Jews were secret communists and that the whole point of Jews was to to make your country communist. So why would the Nazis kill? I'm just, anyway, anyway, Tucker Carlson, let can we move on. Yeah, that's actually brought back up through new uh, QAnon shit is still, I fucking you know, bet. Jews, Jews are commies and... Why wouldn't it? Why, why wouldn't people that seem to professionally eat paint chips fucking not just parrot Third Reich talking points? So basically, the CIA will run, you know, for the next, like, two, three years... Um, they will just do, they'll use every fucking, you know, play in the book. Um, in fact, there's an entire book that discusses the origination of a lot of their methods to destabilize countries and democratically elected governments. Uh, it's called the Jakarta Method. It refers to Jakarta in Indonesia, which was the first country that the CIA did this to, where they took a junior officer class, trained them, and indoctrinated them uh, with their uh, right-wing ideologies in America, and then shot them back over to indonesia to commit horrific massacres and uh what in latin america is referred to as a junta which is a military coup of the government um now velasco would eventually um be taken from power um through a military coup that was backed and uh prepared in every way by the cia the cia set up uh you know they would uh basically would like burn down buildings uh and then manufacture evidence claiming that it was leftists who had done it um when they actually got that that um military leader in uh in office um when he wouldn't actively like kill communists or uh threaten cuba they set up a political opponent for him and then they said that um he, that guy was endorsed by the communist party so that they, he, just, they would vote against it it was a whole thing uh, they are taking this shit straight out of the book that's the fucking reichstag fire yes it's, like literally the same fucking timeline almost like operation paperclip happened tyler crazy right anyway <sighs> now what is it's is that where the government got finally got all their shit together after is that where they just gathered up all their information after the war Colin? put a paperclip around it put yeah, just paper. put a paperclip on it got it all together yeah it's totally not how we Organized got to space it. no, no it's, it's totally not to the only reason Nazis. why we got to space it has nothing to do with Werner or Werner von Braun 
you know, coming to America and then teaching Jack Parsons a whole bunch of shit. Um, so basically, watch for all mankind, everybody. Great. Basically, show. by nineteen by July nineteen sixty three in Ecuador, um, the the junta had taken control of the country. Um, the one that was backed by the CIA. Uh, it was very clear. Nothing in America, really. Nobody in America like talked about it. No newspaper really mentioned it. There was like maybe only a scant. Uh, there was a scant message in the New York Times, uh, once, and basically, you know, it was because the CIA had hands in all the fucking major newspapers and. Well, it's you know, not they, even they that. It's not even that. It's that all of the newspapers at the time, all of the major newspapers, were just reading the fucking AP ticker, and the AP was sucking the CIA's dick the whole time. So anything that they didn't want in, the AP didn't fucking report on. So then all of the major fucking newspapers didn't say shit about it because that's the only fucking information they got is the shit from the AP ticker. Exactly. It's, I mean, most major news sources rely heavily on the AP today. I mean, mm -hmm. shit, it's, it's where I go for most of my news. Yeah. It sucks that they're still one of the more reliable places to go. So uh, the following year, after the junta takes control of Ecuador, uh, in 1964, uh, when elections are canceled and civil, li civil liberties are suspended, um, Texaco and Gulf Oil, who had been acquired by Chevron in uh, 1958, um, or, or Gulf had been acquired by Chevron in 1958, Texaco would not be acquired uh, until 2000. Um, they were actually searching uh, for Ecuadorian oil uh, on indigenous inhabited land in the Amazon rainforest. Uh, and by 1967, they would find it in what would become known as the Lago Agrio oil field, um, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. But 1963 was an auspicious year, not just for Ecuador, uh, but for the United States as well. Um, as we said, there, Dallas in Texas was a den of state State Department ghouls and absolute soulless oil men who were also tied up in the intelligence community, mm -hmm. not the least of which uh, George H.W. Bush. Now, 1963 in Dallas, uh, specifically November 22nd, uh, is when... Uh, there was a lone nut. <laughs> JFK. And Badge Man. The Umbrella Man. Uh, Umbrella Man? JFK Umbrella was Man. assassinated. The Corsican. Um, the, the cor it's, I know it's not racist because Corsica is a place, but it feels what racist. What happened on the grassy knoll? What happened on the Nothing grassy knoll? I don't Corsican think feels like a fantasy racial slur. Yes. Now, uh, the, one of the reasons people say JFK was assassinated was because he had previously threatened to, quote-unquote, smash the CIA into a million pieces. Um, and that was because the failure of uh, an event that Tyler is very familiar with, the Bay of Pigs invasion. Now, again, this is something Blowback Season 2 covers in very good, very significant detail. They have a lot of interviews with people who were there, who are familiar with the events on a very personal level. Uh, you should listen to Blowback Season 2 if you're very interested in the Cuban Revolution and the Bay of Pigs invasion. Um, however, and so does the 2011 video game Call of Duty Black Ops. <laughs> it doesn't do a very good job of it. No. <laughs> Call of Duty does that thing where they're like, the highway of death? The Russians did it. <laughs> like, it's... 
It's almost like they're in direct cooperation with the Pentagon because they have to be in order to uh, represent the U.S. military in an accurate way. Well, it's not the U.S. military they want to represent. They want to use all their cool gadgets and tools in the video game. And so they yeah, have Yeah, you to... still have to work with the Pentagon. To no, that's do what that. I'm saying, but it's not about yeah. like showing the troops right. It's about showing the guns right. I mean, it's about trademarks. Valid reasons. Yeah, it's about I get to put Ruger in this video game. Anyway. It's no, I mean, they don't have to go to the Pentagon for that. I fucking I know. Shut up. It's fine. Let's move on. Anyway. So, uh, we're not going to talk a ton about um, you know, the events of November 22nd, 1963. Because again, as Tyler said, we'd be here for a ten-part series, and holy, uh, be a whole other podcast. My brain is melting, so we're not going to talk about it. But what we will say is, Bernard Hussein Sanders in November was the lone gunman. (laughs) It was the smoking yeah before before he was born. Sure, you know what? It was Ben Roethlisberger. (laughs) God damn! Shut the fuck (laughs) up. Okay. Fuck it. It was Ben Roethlisberger. Can I just please talk about the yes. Kennedy assassination? I am dying. I am dying. My f- I my organs are failing, and my blood is turning into acid. Please let me talk about this. You have the talking stick. So ben, JFK got fucking greased in front of the b- fucking Dallas Book Repository. That. We're not talk about it, but what we're going to talk about is the fact that George H.W. Bush, who had who has stated before that he was not involved with the CIA before he was the director of the CIA, who at this point is president of Zapata Offshore, which has been confirmed as a front and a money funnel for the CIA, who would, as we said, eventually go on to be director of the CIA, who would be involved in the Iran-Contra affair, who would be involved in, uh, who whose Zapata drilling... Uh, platforms were used to stage practice runs for the Bay of Pigs inva- uh, invasion uh, by CIA assets, Cuban counter-revolutionaries, who's involved in all of this, says he does first when asked, said he didn't know where he was on the day Kennedy was shot, which is bullshit. Because if you were born a decent amount of time, you know, three to five years before 9-11, you can tell me to the hour where you were on 9-11. I was born in fucking 1997, and I know exactly where I was when I found out that 9-11 had happened. I was in a minivan with my mom, and she was fucking crying. And I was on my way to nursery school. I remember that. I have a fucking clear memory. To say that as a 35-plus-year-old man, you don't know where you were when the president was killed is bullshit. So he's flat-out lying there. Then later, it comes out that he actually was in Dallas. But he wasn't involved, he wasn't quote-unquote involved with the CIA at that time because he'd recently run for uh, for elected office and failed in his election run. He was involved in politics, but he was a not a politician despite his dad. Uh, he was a member of the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence, and had been involved in the intelligence community since he'd been in the military in World War II. But that is not relevant, apparently. It also isn't relevant, apparently, that two weeks after Kennedy's death, there was a memo issued issued internally in the CIA that was directly addressed to one specific uh, military lieutenant and one George Bush. Now, 
George H.W. Bush again states that before he was director of the CIA, he had no involvement with the CIA, which again is at this point provably false. When the CIA, when, when, sorry, rather, when George Bush was asked, hey, this memo is addressed to you two weeks after Kennedy was assassinated with details of, the, of Kennedy's assassination, you said you weren't involved with the CIA. What's this about? Literally said, must have been another George Bush. When the CIA was questioned, hey, the fucking president said it wasn't him. What other George Bush is it? They couldn't give them an answer. They said, oh, well, we had a, we had a, we had a guy who worked here whose name was George Bush, but we don't know where he is. Cool. You're a, you're a fucking agency whose entire job is to know when pe like where people are and what they're doing at any given time. And you can't do that for somebody who you say used to work for you. So a journalist actually tracked down the other George Bush. And that George Bush wasn't, you know, an, an operative. He wasn't an agent. He wasn't an asset. This guy was a nighttime paper clerk. He didn't have any classified access. He wasn't able to see anything confidential he sure as fuck would not be on a high security memo detailing the death of the president and also when question said i have no clue i've like never received that memo uh, there's like no i knew nothing about it why would i he worked for literally like a summer at the cia doing a night job like a clerical night job so why is a george hw bush briefed on the kennedy assassination because he helped kill him <laughs> Why does he lie about not knowing where he was? He was in Dallas killing the president. And why <laughs> is this connected to oil? So. Just stretch it out. Sorry. Bring yeah, it full we, circle, we, buddy. We Bring it full circle. all the way back. I can feel like the blood in my head right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that brain force. I'm telling you. It's all. It's yeah, man. Just getting getting that crispy crunchy. Crispity crunch. Crunch. Like crispy. a like a chicken. So oh, that sounds it'll, nice. it'll make you hungry, but also make you want to stop masturbating. So I am gonna mention before we continue with the oil connection that Abraham Zapruder uh, of Zapruder film fame. Most people characterize him as a uh, like a, a bystander, right? A witness who just happened to have a camera out, right? Who was like, oh, I want to watch the president. Well, it turns out that Zapruder was also uh, involved in the Dallas Council of World Affairs. He was, uh, he worked with um, Lee Harvey Oswald's handler. Uh, it was Lee Harvey Oswald's handler's wife. Um, and the Zapruder film was actually purchased by Henry Luce, who was also a Bonesman, uh, member of Skull Real and Bones. Real quick, who are you asserting is Lee Harvey Oswald's handler? Um, Mr. De Morenschild. Okay, I'm unfamiliar with the name, but... It, yeah, De Morenschild is a... Yeah, that's usually who's referred to as Lee Harvey Oswald's handler because he was Lee Harvey Oswald's handler. Uh, now... I just want to know where frames 132 through 134 are because that's obviously where they switched him for the body double 
Well, why don't you ask Henry Luce? The president? The the skull yeah. the member of Skull and Bones, who was who a did? personal friend of Prescott Bush. And I don't get how Ben Roethlisberger was that fast. Stop it. <laughs> I specifically didn't say anything because I didn't want to disrupt the episode. All right. And the last thing I'll say about the JFK assassination is I want to read a quote from Jack Ruby. Uh, as you know, Jack Ruby, he's the guy who shot Lee Harvey Oswald when Lee Harvey Oswald made the sound like the guy who got fucked up by the horse. You and know me. Went, oh. and you know me. He, he screamed, you know me, and he tried to kill himself by pouring water on the floor and titching his finger to a light bulb. But Yeah, that was a whole thing. So, um, after Ruby's trial, um, he, spoke, he was talking to reporters who were asking questions about his motives for shooting Oswald. Um, and, and as as is written in Family of Secrets, essentially admitted to a conspiracy. Um, this is Ruby. Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. The people had, that had so much to gain and had such an ulterior motive for putting me in the position I'm in, will never let the true facts come above board to the world. Reporter. Are these people in very high positions, Jack? Ruby? Yes. So, either Jack Ruby is so mentally unhinged that he's having some sort of psychotic delusion about a grand conspiracy of, of you know, high-level officials who plan to kill the president, or, in the words of Lee Harvey Oswald, he's a patsy! I think it's it's entirely possible either way. Yeah, I think it's it's honestly it's a straight coin flip. It's Jack Ruby was clearly a psychotic individual who had some deep mental illness his entire life. My answer: Porcano's test. I mean, as we know, the CIA would try to weaponize mental illness and induce psychosis and hypnosis to make people do things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily normally do. Um, but at the very least convince them to do things uh, that they did, wouldn't normally want to do. Um, MK Naomi, MK Ultra, M... When uh, they, hip- they hypnotized Sirhan Sirhan into pretending to shoot Bobby Kennedy so he could take the fall for it when they killed Bobby Kennedy. Uh, <laughs> they, that, honestly, buddy, there's more to it than you think. I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just, you're, you're asserting a lot. Uh, you know yeah, what? That's, this that's a big claim. This is my personal belief. The CIA killed both of the Kennedys. They killed JFK and they killed Bobby Kennedy um, because Bobby Kennedy, as head of the DOJ, was threatening a lot of FBI contacts in the mafia that were also involved in Operation Mongoose, which was the operation carried out by the CIA to help destabilize Cuba and basically destroy a lot of Latin America um, and JFK, because even though JFK wasn't a good guy, uh, which is something that it's so fucking annoying to hear about when people like romanticize and idealize uh, JFK because, oh, he wanted to break up the CIA. It's like, yeah, he wanted to break up the CIA, but he was also like a manifest, like a manifestly corrupt neoliberal goon who also wanted to do a bunch of evil shit. So uh, people only like me because I fucked openly. And I had a smoking hot wife. I got a big hole in my back and a big rod to fill it with. I got a big problem with opiate-based painkillers. 
and I, I got a big problem with my dick being dry right now. With getting my dick hard. I don't think he had any problem getting his dick hard. No, the problem is it's always hard. <laughs> yeah, the problem is getting it Bobby, down. Like, Bobby, come on. He's just spritzing it. He was a fucking mick. Of course his dick was hard oh all the time. He feels like he needs like to reproduce every 30 seconds. Yeah, <laughs> The Irish, the, the mayflies of the modern era. <laughs> I take that. I love the Irish. I hate Irish Americans. Because they're all cops. Anyway. Uh. It's not all of them were cops. Some of them had to poorly rivet the hull of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah, and sink it to the he bottom of Scottish. Lake Superior. <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, Scottish people can swim. Uh, Irish, people, <laughs> Irish people make good liquor. I think Scotch is gross. Anyway. No. No, Scotch okay, I'm sitting gross. here like, yeah, it's, I think like most... most Irish whiskey is better than Scotch. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm, it's, it's, a, it's a different it's a different liquor it's entirely. It's better. I'm, you know one, what? One you shoot, I, one you sip. I would love, I would love to drink a liquor that, that tastes like the public use charcoal grill at a at a public park that's what i yeah, scotch that's, that's scotch you ever had you, i know i know you ever had salted bad. caramel black velvet what have you ever had salted caramel black velvet no <laughs> because that is disturbingly close to the taste of salted caramel black velvet. scotch is bad i don't like scotch uh you, my liquor should nothing i drink hey have you ever thought that scotch should taste like caramel and salt I got just the thing fucking, for you. It was the worst goddamn whiskey I've ever put in my mouth. Scotch I isn't a whiskey. Rare voluntarily. Yeah. Scotch isn't a whiskey. You get those words out of your mouth. It's, it's called... Scotch is absolutely a fucking whiskey. It's called Scotch whiskey. It's Scotch. What the fuck is wrong with you? I will fight. I will pull up to your house right now. You fucking... It's... Mick. <laughs> your fucking would, brain is too wet. You would just put... Colin would just put his big old paw on your forehead and you would just start swinging. You'd just be swinging be and swinging and swinging. Dick, though. But you couldn't reach him because his arm is as long as your whole body. I think I could reach him. I think me and Colin probably got a similar reach. I got long ass arms. Tyler's got that. I mean, you are Tyler's mostly torso, upper body but... is very Gibbon-like, so I would not yeah. put his best <laughs> past that is why I. That's why I would beat Ben Shapiro so easily in a boxing match. Oh, because Ben Shapiro's, I got the, I got the reach ben Shapiro's a bitch. Ben I Shapiro would shatter him. like a... Like a, a shitty Israeli glass. Like it's well, not number a... number one number one. I'm like six inches taller than him, and number two, I got like I fucking nine inches, inches of taller reach. than him. You're at least he, four inches he, taller than him. He claims that he is the same height as me, and I you specifically say those fancy elevator beetle boots he wears. Yeah. yeah. Elevator. It's it was hard for me not to say that in Sergeant Hatred's voice. From pictures of him standing next to his sister, and I've taken the size of her boobs, and then compared it to his height. Completely wrong. Completely wrong. Okay. So. Um. (laughs) Her mommy milkers. No. So, uh, oil as, oil's value as a material thing linked expressly to, like, the actual amount of oil in the world is now no longer a thing. OPEC has kind of destroyed that, um, and it's now about the speculation of oil. Um, the president was shot on national television, <laughs> or shot on the radio, and then... What a time to be alive. 
killed by a future president uh, and the CIA. And uh, in 1977, we have proof um, that Exxon, I believe now is uh, at this point, is referred to as ExxonMobil, as Exxon and Mobil have merged, uh, concretely discovers that the burning of fossil fuels, specifically oil, is causing global warming, is causing climate change, and begins a decades-long uh, campaign to deny climate science, to uh, backstop and prevent any kind of legislation from addressing the problem and filling the pockets of every politician that comes by, uh, just as Rockefeller uh, did uh, in the early 20th century uh, to make sure that they can keep doing what's going to make them the most amount of money. Now, we're getting towards the end of the century here because if I linger too long in the 70s, uh, I'm going to kill myself. Uh, we, I sh we have previously talked about uh, the oil crisis in the 70s and what caused it, so I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but what I will talk about happens a little bit later uh, in the 90s. Uh, specifically, we're going to talk about Ecuador. So, as we said previously, Texaco and Gulf have been ravaging uh, the uh, Lago Agrio oil field uh, in Ecuador. Uh, land, as we said, that has been inhabited by indigenous peoples for literally millennia, thousands of years. These people and their way of life have changed very little. Um, basically, since human beings have been alive. Since people have lived in this part of the world, their way of life has been basically the same, with a few adaptations uh, in the more recent years as technology becomes more widely available. Now, what a lot of people don't know is that uh, a large, there's a lot of waste that occurs when you drill for oil. When you're drilling through all that rock and earth, um, there's a lot of just like chemical runoff from the machinery operating. There is a lot of shit that gets expelled from the earth uh, in the way of uh, oil byproducts and like natural gas and runoff and things like that. Um, and there's just a lot of like contaminated shit that it's not enough petroleum to actually be profitable and to refine and to ship around. Um, but really shouldn't exist on the surface and is highly damaging to the ecosystem so normally what's recommended when oil companies drilled in this way and plumb for oil in this way is that they'll build these big concrete lined retention pools for the waste um and then they'll you know once the pool is full they cap it with a slab and then it'll sit there um some some oil companies will barrel it and you know put the waste in like a cargo container and then they'll bury the cargo container but that's a lot of work and that's a lot of money and quite frankly texaco doesn't give enough shit about um these subhumans um that it's you know drilling for oil on their land they don't care enough about them because um they're dumb and they're weak by virtue of their race uh that's that's what texaco believes that's and you can see that in the way they operate so uh, Texaco wins this this massive contract with the Ecuadorian government to drill on their land. Uh, there is a caveat there. However, they do have to clean up all um, waste and their operations uh, before they, they leave, essentially. So uh, in 1992, 
Texaco officially leaves Ecuador and they claim that they cleaned up all of their waste and refuse in these pools. Now, the problem starts immediately. The pools were never lined with concrete as they were supposed to be. They'd also built these pipes and miniature canals for basically runoff excess overflow uh, to, to run off these pools. These would go directly into the local waterways. Now, it's apparent. Uh, putting oil waste into waterways is a surefire way to completely decimate a region. Um, and an open violation of Texaco's agreement with the Ecuadorian government. So this becomes a very large problem very, very quickly. Um, and the people indigenous to the region had already been seeing the side effects of this for a while because Texaco and Gulf had been operating the area for decades at this point. Um, kids were, they were already seeing an increased rate of stillbirths and birth defects and cancer. You know, things that do happen, um, but really don't happen in these kinds of numbers. You know, these indigenous people, they live, you know, I don't want to get too crunchy, but they live very naturally. They're, they're eating fish out of the stream. They're, they're foraging for foods in the rainforest. They're not eating a lot of processed shit that gives you cancer. They're not operating the kind of machinery that has emissions that give you cancer. And, I mean, quite frankly, just, like, think about it this way. Like, if there was, a you know, an animal that existed in nature that innately had high levels of cancer just happens they wouldn't survive for very long these indigenous people have been living in this area for thousands of years so if cancer was a huge problem in their communities and therefore in their gene pools this would have been something that had been happening for a long time and you wouldn't see this massive spike but you're seeing this massive spike and you're seeing these massive spikes in birth defects and stillbirths so something changed and what changed these pools so Textual claims they did their job, they upheld their bargain, right? That the, everything is cleaned up. Exxon, right? Texaco. Oh, it's, okay. it's Texaco. Texaco and Gulf. So, 1992, that's what they say. 1993, um, a young human rights lawyer and a few other um, lawyers and activists go to Ecuador because they've heard of their plight uh, of these indigenous people that are trying to get these oil companies, at this point, not even to clean up the pools. Because that's not going to happen. It's been made clear that they're actually they're not going to do anything about it. Um, they they just want somebody to recognize what's happened and a little bit of help in managing their lives now, right? Um, there is uh, like a short ten minute Vice video. We're gonna put the link uh, in the show description for you to watch. Um, it's narrated by Stephen Donziger and it, it details um, him. And this is experience in Ecuador. He is that young human rights lawyer. Now, eventually Texaco um, would admit that uh, basically they, they, would, they would go from saying that they had cleaned everything up to go saying that, well, it's not really our responsibility to clean it up. Stephen Donzinger gets involved um, and he starts trying to lobby on behalf of these, these indigenous peoples who don't have the kind of money or education to lobby on their own behalf. Um, in 2000, Texaco is acquired by Chevron. Um, 
they're fully integrated into Chevron. I believe they were actually acquired much earlier in 1958, um, but have been acting as an independent subsidiary up until now. Um, at this point, Chevron, uh, they're full offensive, right? They're, they're, they're willing to operate within the Ecuadorian court system, as is like their legal obligation. They have no, they're, they're not contesting that. They're not saying, oh, this is the wrong court, uh, you know, implying that they, they will uphold the court's ruling. Um, but what they are going to do is they constantly obstruct every turn. They try to intimidate judges. They do intimidate judges. They falsify evidence. They pay off witnesses. Um, they, they're doing everything they can. They have a team of corrupt lawyers who uh, intimidate, uh, will, who actually do some of that intimidation themselves who will file useless motions. They um, have, there's this internal memo that goes out where they basically explain that their method is to try to overwhelm the very resource-limited Ecuadorian legal system with excessive paperwork. They're literally trying to bury the case that Donzinger and these other um, folks are, are trying to bring to the Ecuadorian courts in just a mountain of bullshit, um, trying to destroy them legally, quote-unquote, um, to try and stall this happening. Um, it doesn't fucking matter, unfortunately uh, for us and unfortunately for Chevron. Um, eventually, uh, the Ecuadorian courts recognize, yes, Chevron did this. Yes, they knew what they were doing and still did it. And because of that, they awarded, um, I believe, the largest pay payout um, in the history of this like ecological damage uh 9.6 billion dollars it's a sizable chunk of change and it's at that point that chevron completely flees ecuador refusing to pay that to the indigenous people whose uh children are dying and who uh have had their life expectancy cut in half uh and they begin their campaign against steven dunzinger in america mm -hmm. where they will go on to get him disbarred they will um, use their friends in the Federalist Society, uh, the two judges uh, that have overseen uh, Donziger's case, the first of which, both of which are members of the Federalist Society, of which Chevron is a major donor. Um, the first of which uh, requests that Stephen Donziger turn over. So, basically, Stephen Donziger is accused of bribing uh, and using fraudulent tactics to achieve that settlement from Chevron, right? The One of the major witnesses to this is an Ecuadorian man who claims that in a backroom meeting, Stephen Donziger offered him quite a bit of money to testify against Chevron, right? It's a man that Stephen Donziger literally had never met before. Mm -hmm. This guy would literally go on, would go on to recant his statement and say that he was paid by Chevron to say it. But it doesn't matter because that guy's testimony is used um, against Stephen Donzinger by this by the prosecution, and I say the prosecution because it's not it's not the district it's not the U.S. attorney that's prosecuting Stephen Donzinger on a criminal charge. You know how you, when you commit a crime, you have like the DA, like the district attorney or the U.S. attorney, depending on the severity of the crime. They're the people that prosecute you because that's how crime works. Is that the government enforces criminal charges by prosecuting them um the u.s attorney's office in manhattan declined to prosecute this case 
So you think, oh, okay, well, if the people who are so familiar with the law that it's their entire job and that it's not just their entire job, but they are the prosecuting arm of the federal government, if they are saying that there is not enough here to prosecute you or there's nothing worthwhile, there's, no, there's not enough of a criminal element to prosecute, then you would assume that, there, that there's no crime, right? And that, this, and that Steven Donzinger won't have to go through this because he never did anything wrong. Uh, not true. Uh, currently, we're living in RoboCop world where fucking corporations make their own laws and enforce them at will. So the judge that um, the judge that is attempting at this point attempting to prosecute Steven Donsinger or attempting to get, hit, to get him prosecuted, even though that's not the point of a judge, um, after the U.S. attorney declines, he appoints a private prosecutor who has had Chevron as a client in the past, is tied with Chevron, to prosecute Steven Donziger on a criminal charge. So there is a literal corporate authority behind a criminal prosecution. It's like if, when that woman um, had her fucking vagina fused shut because McDonald's wanted to have literally boiling hot coffee because it was cheaper for them to do it that way, it would be like if when she tried to sue McDonald's, McDonald's uh, countersued and used a criminal charge to countersue. But basically tried to get her sent to prison. That's what Chevron's doing. Chevron is attempting to grab the authority of the federal government and wield it against anybody who dares say anything about them. Who dares stand up for the people that they hurt? Who dares to say what they're doing is wrong? Anything. Anything at all. And that $9.6 billion, that's fucking chump change for Chevron. Chevron is, I believe, the second or third largest oil company in the world. ExxonMobil being the largest. They have the fucking money. They could pay out the people of Ecuador ten times over. And it would be fine. But they won't. And it's something that Tyler mentioned previously in the Ford episode. Because it sets a precedent. Because mm -hmm. you start paying for what you do wrong and all of a sudden you gotta start paying people all over the place Colin to reiterate bringing up one of your points it was never about the pillows it's never about the fucking it was never pillows. about the pillows it was never it's about never the about money the it's about the fucking precedent about the precedent so <sighs> Steven Donzinger is caught in this unconstitutional situation where he's being uh prosecuted by a you know via you know via a proxy by a corporate entity on a criminal charge the judge uh judge kaplan uh, who's this initial judge member of the federalist society connected directly to chevron who should be who should have recused himself if he wasn't an unethical corrupt piece of shit um, but didn't, because obviously there's money in it for him. So he basically wants, uh, he, he, there's, a, there's a discovery um, motion, right? Where basically Steven Donziger is being asked to turn over his computer, his laptop, his cell phone, and documents pertinent to the case in Ecuador. Now, Steven Donziger refuses to do this. It's very common for attorneys to refuse a discovery motion because basically um 
they have to protect the interests and rights of their clients. The indigenous people of Ecuador are still Steven Donziger's clients. He's not yeah. going to turn them over so that Chevron can tear their fucking lives apart. And, and do they have a warrant? They don't need a warrant. It's a discovery. He doesn't legally have to give it over to them. It's he can pertinent say, to the you. case. And their their argument was that it was pertinent, that there was proof of his criminal activity in those in that technology, in that documentation. Now, Stephen Donziger, I'd say, give me your shit. Give me your shit. Give me your fucking computer. Exactly. Give me your fucking phone. Exactly. So Stephen Donziger, Donziger refuses because, A, he's protecting his clients. And, two, he's protecting the evidence. This is all the information that proves that he's right, that proves that Chevron... Um, is poisoning the Amazon and the people that live there. He doesn't want to hand that over to somebody who's working for Chevron. They're going to destroy it. You know, this is, it's a very common objection for a discovery, for an attorney to say no. There, there's a precedent, there's a, literally a law that says you don't have to turn it over if there is fear that it could be destroyed. That's a, a lot of times you'll see um, people who come out of court courthouses, like when cops want to like snatch somebody up outside of a courthouse, they'll give their attorney their cell phone mm -hmm. because the attorney can't be searched and the attorney can't have that taken from them. Um, it's protected. So Steven Donziger is then charged with contempt of court for refusing this discovery um, and is placed under house arrest uh, by Judge Preska, who was appointed by Judge Kaplan. Um, and he is put under house arrest at this point for, I believe, 813 days. This is something that no attorney has ever seen one day inside a jail cell for. But he's under house arrest for almost three fucking years. Uh, beginning of this month, October 1st, um, was his sentencing hearing. Um, the judge, Judge Preska, read the newspaper the whole time, refused to allow them to call witnesses, to present evidence, to, prevent, to present counterarguments, uh, and sentenced Steven Donziger to six months in prison on a criminal contempt charge. They're basically using uh, the, you know, the RICO. Uh, they're using using the RICO Act, which was used by Rudy Giuliani, uh, like used by Rudy Giuliani, um, to help get rid of a lot of organized crime in New York. They're now used. It's now basically used by corporations to do things like this. Um, so he's sentenced to six months. He had his first. Uh, appeal hearing today where Judge Preska refused to set bail and uh, refused to basically, you know, bumped up his his appeal. So they're saying that he should either, if they're going to convict him and he's going to be sentenced to six months, let the guy have fucking time served because he's been locked in his fucking apartment for almost three years now. Uh, you know, six times the length of the sentence that they're think trying to send him to. They're also saying that he's a flight risk, which means that that's why they're not setting bail. That's why they're not letting him go back under house arrest because he could flee. The guy's been under in, under house arrest for three fucking years. If he was going to run, he would have done it already. So you know that's bullshit. So Chevron is using the, the U.S. legal system to directly punish anyone that has the fucking temerity to say what they're doing is wrong and do something about it. And I know what you're thinking, Colin. Well, obviously this is relevant because it has to do with Chevron, but what's the federal government got to do with it, Colin? Because I've been listening and I don't listen. I just don't listen to anything you say. Well, I'll give you more reasons. So 
in the 90s at the same time that we're talking about Ecuador you might have noted that one of the members of OPEC is Nigeria not one of the founding uh, nations but a member and they're uh, a country that's had Royal Dutch Shell and Chevron engaging in uh, oil production there and extraction for decades right they contract this big corrupt fucking agreement with the Nigerian government that basically destroys Nigeria's agricultural industry, makes oil there's the sole fucking point of their economy, and craters them. And at this point, I'm going to read uh, directly from Antonio Yuhas's Tyranny of Oil in reference to um, maybe some of the more inf infamous operations of Chevron and Royal Dutch Shell in Nigeria in the 90s. Decades of abuse have been recorded, but Shell's Nigerian operations became global news in 1995 with the killing of the Ogoni Nine. In 1990, the Ogoni, indigenous people who have lived in the Niger Delta for millennia as farmers and fishers, organized to resist Shell's operation on their land. The Ogoni, the Ogoni resistance was brutally suppressed with some 30 villages laid to waste by Nigerian forces and thousands of Ogoni killed and injured. Nigerian Lieutenant Colonel Paul uh, Okuntimo later stated that he was paid by Shell to quote-unquote sanitize the Ogoni. Shell admitted that it invited the Nigerian authorities to help put down the quote-unquote disturbance in its Ogoni production area, although maintaining that the soldiers it paid were not responsible for Ogoni deaths or injuries. Ken Sarawiwa and eight other Ogoni activists were later hung on charges by the Nigerian government of murdering four Ogoni chiefs. The United Nations General Assembly formally condemned the executions and encouraged member states to impose sanctions against Nigeria, supporting the widely accepted belief, both then and now, that the only quote-unquote crime committed by the Ogoni Nine was their leadership roles in the non-violent struggle against Shell and Nigerian government. Chevron also began operating in Nigeria in the 1960s, and today extracts some half a million barrels of oil per day there. Nigerians have alleged abuse at Chevron's hand for decades, and in 1999, Nigerian plaintiffs uh, succeeded in bringing a case against Chevron in U.S. court. According to the plaintiffs' attorneys, a group of Nigerians went to Chevron's offshore Parabe platform to demand that company officials meet with community elders onshore in response to environmental and human rights abuses. The local people claim not to have carried weapons, after three days of negotiations, the protesters agreed to leave the platform the next morning and inform Chevron of their intentions. In the early morning of May 28, 1998, the day the protesters planned to leave, Chevron leased helicopters carrying soldiers and Chevron representatives approached the platform. The soldiers opened fire on the protesters, killing two and wounding and later, later torturing others. Seven months later, on January 4, 1999, in an apparent retaliation uh, for the Parabe incident, plaintiffs claimed that Chevron leased helicopters carrying Chevron representatives flew over the fishing villages of Opia and Ikenyan and opened fire. Soldiers in Chevron leased boats followed the helicopters in, attacking the villages. The assaults left at least seven people dead, many others injured and missing, and both villages almost completely burned to the ground. Although Chevron does not deny that the killings and destruction took place, 
The company argues that its Nigerian subsidiary, not the parent company, is to blame, and that the Nigerians were not peaceful. Chevron says the attacks on the villages were, quote-unquote, in response to a violent insurrection, in which Chevron, quote-unquote, was literally caught in the crossfire. In the most recent ruling in the case, uh, it's actually not the most recent ruling, we're going to get to that in a second, um, in 2007, a U.S. District Court judge found evidence that Chevron personnel were directly involved in the attacks and that Chevron transported and paid the Nigerian government security forces to these attacks, knowing that they were prone to use excessive force. The judge concluded that the evidence would allow a jury to find not only that Chevron knew the attacks would happen and assisted in them, but also that Chevron actually agreed to the military's plan. Uh, a jury trial was scheduled for September 2008 in San Francisco. And I know what you're thinking. Thank God. There's going to be some accountability in court. There's going to be a judge that prevents more people from being literally murdered uh, by uh, oil companies for the sake of profit. Literally killing innocent uh, villagers and children and women for, for not wanting to be under the boot heel. December 2nd, 2008, an article is published in Los Angeles Times. Starts with the following. A federal jury Monday cleared Chevron Corporation of any responsibility in the shooting of Nigerian villagers by military forces during a protest in an offshore oil platform, concluding a closely watched case brought under a seldom invoked 1789 law allowing foreigners to sue in the United States. Chevron spokesman Don Campbell said, we are pleased with the verdict today. The jury upheld our position that a response was a reasonable one. They're not even denying that they... They're, they're not even denying that they weren't involved at that point. He admits involvement by saying that we're pleased that we were our response was reasonable. So they're admitting that they burned villages down and shot people to death. But they're saying it was okay that we did it. That 1789 law that's referenced is the ATS, the Alien Tort Statute. Um, this is something that we talked about in the Nestle episodes, mm -hmm. um, where uh, glistening worm person Neil Kotyal argued that um, we couldn't prosecute slave owners uh, that uh, had were headquartered in the United States as long as they formed a corporation. Uh, and that's proven again in these rulings so specifically the uh Kyabel versus royal dutch petroleum company case um this was i believe in reference specifically uh to uh the the, the crushing of the agoni that uh royal dutch shell committed in the uh niger river delta right the the court would rule uh that the second uh, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second District, uh, Second Circuit, rather, would rule that essentially the alien tort statute does not apply to corporations, and corporations do not have liability for anything that happens outside of America because the offenses were committed outside of the United States. Uh, the plaintiffs had no legal ground to stand on, which is fucking crazy. Um, now, we're talking about Nigeria. We're talking about the brutalization of the people in Nigeria. Um, you know, via these oil companies. Um, another person involved in that, uh, or at least a, a company 
that Tyler's going to love to hear about is Halliburton. Halliburton, the uh, oil services company, they're a company that uh, operates in oil fields on behalf of oil companies and then also does some minor extraction themselves, typically in regards to natural gas. They were involved in a massive bribery scheme of the Nigerian government. Mm. In fact, it was such a massive scheme that in the 90s, um, Dick Cheney was charged with bribery. Um, he and the other specific individuals that were charged with these crimes would eventually uh, have those charges dropped. However, Halliburton would pay out over $30 million uh, for the massive corruption regime that it ran in Nigeria. So it's clear at this point that the Nigerian government was not operating as a government, but simply as a proxy for these oil companies. So that's what we're talking about. When, when, you know, that's how it ties back in to what we talk about with the government, is that there are no governments that exist. All that exists are conglomerations. All that exists are corporations, and they operate through these bodies at will. They operate through these bodies, they hire fucking soldiers, they hire helicopters, they pay off politicians, and they do whatever they want to to make sure that they make money. Anything that's quote-unquote necessary to make a little bit more money. That's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, we're not going to talk about... We talked about Halliburton. We're not going to talk about the war in Iraq. I, I can't. Blowback, se not yet. Blowback season one. Go ahead. Take a look. We're, we're going to do a military contractor series uh, and talk about that. And We're, we're going we're gonna to dig further into Halliburton because Halliburton's involved in that, as is um, Donald Rumsfeld's Gilead. Um, but these companies clearly will operate on behalf of the cia they will operate through foreign governments they will kill people directly and indirectly they will deny any responsibility until after an american court says hey we're actually not going to hold you accountable and then they'll fucking skip down the lane saying well i'm glad they agreed with us No. Sounds about right. Yeah, that sounds about par for the course. Uh, yeah. So next episode uh, is going to be the final episode of the oil series. We're going to talk about a few more uh, modern fucking uh, tragedies being caused by the greed of the oil industry, um, as well as what you can do about it, if anything. Um, we're going to get pretty close to home on a few points uh specifically uh for those paying attention uh enbridge's line five we're gonna talk about that we're gonna again bring it back to nestle talk about michigan water tables um i think i'm dying i think all my organs are failing and i think my brain is turning into a pile of half crushed ritz crackers Guess what? It's from line five. It's from line. F it's all the oil. It's all the fucking oil runoff. It's all that fucking oil runoff that's going to end up in our water table because these companies are run by inhuman ghouls. So it's a good time. Holy shit snacks. I like how you guys just went like dead silent for like the last 30 minutes of me talking. You were, you were kind of on a roll, man. You were, you were on a roll, and also, not a whole lot of room for yucks not a lot talking of... about the Ecuadorian oh, crisis. You guys, oh, you guys don't want to make little jokes about, uh, you know, them, them Nigerians, you know, getting murdered by Chevron. 
It's all the lame jokes we could make about this situation have already been made by Steven Donziger on Twitter. Yeah. So it would just feel like plagiarism. It's great. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's he's really fighting the good fight. And we live in uh, we live in a fucking hellish dystopia where private corporations can uh, prosecute you on criminal charges like they're their own government. Like I really can't. I really feel like we can't overstate the how horrifying that is. That a private company gets to decide when the law applies and when it doesn't, and not just for themselves, but for everyday fucking citizens like you and me. This guy is literally having his fucking civil rights stripped away by a private corporation, and we're just watching it. And no fucking major media outlet will talk about it. The New York Times has an office, literally like a few fucking city blocks from Steven Donziger's uh, goddamn apartment and won't say anything about it. The only major outlet I ever saw a piece about him from was Bloomberg, and they basically sided with Chevron. On Chevron's fucking website, though, they tout this shit, and they... Mm, it's I didn't mention it. I didn't bring it up because it makes me so fucking angry. I went on it for, like, two minutes today to just see... Because I was hoping for a gem like we found... With Bear AG, World War One and its oh, consequences. Oh, World War One and its consequences. No, they're just yeah. straight up like this didn't happen. He's lying. Uh, you know, he he committed fraud. He bribed these people. It's like you were the Chevron bribed people. Chevron. Yeah, it's, that is still fraud. very much proven in like, court. They, they're it's, doing it is it. worth noting that Stephen Donziger has not been charged with anything other than contempt of court contempt exactly it's crazy because there is no there's, there's nothing there's else to charge him with no platform because he didn't for break anything any else. Fucking laws. but it's we're we're gonna go on another 20 minute rant it's thank you once again for listening to this episode of worst in the industry tune in again next week for the conclusion of our oil series or else colin is gonna fucking explode i'm you know what you might not be able to stop it. It's too late at this point. Much like, much like climate change, I'm doomed. We, we do not have a proper call to action this episode. Colin, you got a little mini one for us, or are we saving that for episode four? Uh, you know what? I do have one. Uh, the Teamsters Union, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, they're having an election uh, for their leadership. Now, um, I don't know if you guys know who Jimmy Hoffa was, uh, but his dirtbag son has been a huge bootlicking lackey uh, for all the bosses that um, oversee workers of the Teamsters Union. Now, uh, I've done some research into the candidates. Uh, you have one slate um, of uh, Valer Valerma uh, and his fucking idiot asshole vice president. They got the fucking little kiss from the outgoing Hoffa administration. Um, these are the people that they don't actually increase the members of the union or try to like do anything for anybody. They just merge different locals. So the, the, the overall amount of dues go up. Um, they're, they're focused on like how much money the union brings in, but not about actually doing anything to help their workers, which is why they've helped to backstop any attempt at fighting the tiered, worker system that you were seeing also in the deer plants uh the john deere plants where di workers hired in at different times get different kinds of benefits and different kinds of pay uh it's meant to pit workers against each other it's it's a method that a lot of employers use now um and the hoffas and the uh the teamster power slate those guys love that shit um the uh, the opposition slate 
uh, Teamsters United, um, which are the slate that represents uh, Teamsters for a Democratic Union. Uh, those guys are actually fucking radical militant unionists. They're, they've been fucking arrested uh, for striking, for doing what's right, for fighting for workers. Uh, they have a huge fund that's meant to teach work, uh, teach uh, Teamsters about what their legal rights are uh, and to provide them for re with representation for when, uh, just like Chevron's done or tried to do and use the, the legal system to brutalize them, uh, when their bosses use the legal system to brutalize them, what their actual rights are, what they can do about it. Um, you can't give any money to the uh, TDU uh, the, the Teamsters United Election Fund, unless you are a, 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 a dues-paying member of the Teamsters Union. However, you can give the TDU and TRF, their sister organization, donations directly. Um, it's tdu.org. Um, uh, it's the O'Brien Zuckerman slate. They're f actual fucking working class people fighting for working class rights. Uh, and they deserve your attention. They deserve your support. All right, well, yeah, definitely give that a look. Feel free to give if you haven't to give. Once again, thank you for listening to... <coughs> Fuck. <clears throat> Once again, thank you for listening to Worst in the Industry. Catch us again next week. Bye. 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 Kisses.